Hi, my name is Molly, and I love all things ghoulish, macabre, spooky and paranormal. If you do too, then you'll love to tune in and listen to me, bringing you haunted tales from every county in the United Kingdom, and eventually beyond. Each week, I pick a county randomly from my ghost haunted box, and bring to you a ghostly tale from that particular county. This week, we have been transported to the resilient county of Lancashire. So sit or lie back and let's get ghoulish. The current population of Lancashire is 1,236,000. The population has increased by 0.7%. That's 8,900 more from last year. Lancashire is home to the town of Clitheroe, which hosts an annual event called the World Gravy Wrestling Championship, where participants wrestle in a pool filled with gravy. Blackpool, a famous seaside resort in Lancashire, is home to the Blackpool Illuminations, a dazzling light display that has been a tradition since 1879. Lancashire is known for its dialect. And locals might refer to each other as Lancashire lads and lasses. The town of Accrington is home to the Accrington Pals, a battalion formed during World War One known for their strong camaraderie. The Ribblehead Viaduct in North Yorkshire, often associated with the Settle Carlisle Railway, stretches into Lancashire and is a marvel of Victorian engineering. Lancashire has its own dish, the Lancashire Hot Pot, a hearty stew traditionally made with lamb or mutton and topped with sliced potatoes. The singing, ringing tree, an unusual musical sculpture near Burnley, produces haunting sounds as the wind passes through its pipes. The town of Ormskirk hosts an annual gingerbread festival, celebrating the tradition of making gingerbread in the area. Lancaster Castle, dating back to Roman times, has a dark history and was used as a prison for centuries. It's one of the few castles in England that still functions as a prison today. Lancashire is home to Rivington Pike, a prominent hill with a tower that offers panoramic views of the surrounding countryside. The Lancashire town of Bury is famous for its traditional black pudding often enjoyed as a part of a full English breakfast. Morecambe Bay, known for its shifting sands and quicksands, has one of the most dramatic tidal ranges in the world. Leyland, a town in Lancashire, is associated with Leyland Trucks, a historic British vehicle manufacturer. Lancashire is rich in folklore, with stories of supernatural beings like boggarts and bar guests said to roam the landscape. The turf maze in Saffron Walden, Lancashire, is 
one of only eight surviving turf mazes in England. The town of Colne hosts an annual blues festival, attracting music enthusiasts from around the country. Lancashire is home to the Forest of Bowland, an area of outstanding natural beauty, known for its beautiful landscapes and varied wildlife. The Lancashire coastline is dotted with charming seaside towns, including Lytham St Anne's, known for its elegant Victorian architecture. The Lancashire dialect includes unique phrases like reaped good, which means very good, out means anything, nout means nothing, ginnel or ginnel means narrow passageway or alley, to oldmon means the old man, lugol means ear, chuffed, pleased or happy, mither to bother or pester, aop a common informal greeting, scran means food, Mardi means sulky or moody, our kid slang for a sibling or close friend, gravely means good or proper, brass monkeys means extremely cold weather, summer means something, snap food especially a packed lunch, bobbins means rubbish or nonsense, gobsmacked means astonished or amazed, chuddy is chewing gum, Soft lad, term of endearment for a young man, and mint means excellent or fantastic. These phrases add a distinctive local flavour to communication. Lancashire is home to the town of Carnforth, where the classic film Brief Encounter was partially filmed, and the railway station retains its nostalgic 1940s ambience. In this episode, we are going to take a look at the fascinating story of the notorious 17th century witch trial of the Pendle Witches. Special thanks go to Wiki, the History Press and Haunted Happenings for aiding in my research. Before I commence, I wanted to share a little about Pendle Hill itself. Pendle Hill is almost a mountain hypnotic and very atmospheric. Pendle Hill is located in the east of Lancashire, England, near the towns of Burnley, Nelson, Colne, Clitheroe and Padium. Its summit is 557 metres above mean sea level and it gives its name to the borough of Pendle. It is also known as Penhull and as well as the Pendle Witches, it is known for the Quaker movement with the original Quaker village still in existence today. There is also a Bronze Age burial site at the summit of Pendle Hill, which has recently been discovered. The name Pendle is, and always will be, synonymous with the Pendle Witches. The tale of the Pendle Witches is a great example of well-documented allegation of witchcraft. Until today, the hill continues to be associated with witchcraft. Every Halloween, a large number of visitors climb up the hill, wanting to experience the supernatural. 
according to those that do paranormal investigations and group ghost walks upon the hill say this. The ghosts of Pendle Hill are nearly always connected to the Pendle Witches. However, there are occasions when we have picked up on the ghosts and spirits of others who have died on this daunting and barren hillside. These include the ghosts of children, aircraftsmen who have landed here after having their airplanes bombed in the war, along with other unfortunate souls who have died on the hill. We have also encountered those who have taken their own lives here, which is particularly sad. Some of the ghostly activity we have experienced on Pendle Hill defies any sort of logic. On one occasion whilst carrying out a Ouija board experiment on Pendle Hill at the foundations of Malkin Tower, a tooth landed on the centre of the table. This shocked everybody concerned and after having obviously checked to ensure that nobody in the group had lost a tooth, which was definitely human, it left us in a quandary as to how it got there. The tooth was identified as belonging to an adult of around 40 years of age and was in fact an old tooth. This has only made us more determined to find out who or what is haunting Pendle Hill and working hard towards gaining more evidence on our ghost hunts here. Creepy. So, the trials of the Pendle Witches in 1612 are among the most famous witch trials in English history, and some of the best recorded of the 17th century. The twelve accused lived in the area surrounding Pendle Hill in Lancashire, and were charged with the murders of ten people by the use of witchcraft. All but two were tried at Lancaster Assizes on the 18th and 19th of August 1612, along with the Salmsbury witches and others, in a series of trials that have become known as the Lancashire Witch Trials. One was held at York Assizes on the 27th of July 1612, and another died in prison. Of the eleven who went to trial, nine women and two men, ten were found guilty and executed by hanging. One was found not guilty. In August 1612, ten people were charged with witchcraft and sentenced to death. The key witness in the case was a nine-year-old girl, and three of the people executed as a result of her testimony were her own mother, sister and brother. The witch-hunting craze swept across Europe during the 17th century, with James I of England and VI of Scotland bringing the craze with him from the Danish court after his marriage to Anne of Denmark in 1589. His first victim was Agnes Sampson, whose stripped and tortured ghost, bald Agnes, is said to haunt Holyrood Palace and who is believed by some to be the inspiration behind the weird sisters in Shakespeare's Macbeth. Denmark has a long history of witch trials and witch hunts and when James visited the country he became obsessed with rooting out witches. When he brought Anne from Denmark back to Scotland 
They were caught in a terrible storm and James took it as a sign that a witch had tried to sabotage their journey and murder the king and his new queen. Agnes became James's first victim and the king insisted on being present to witness the torture Agnes underwent before she was finally found guilty and executed in Edinburgh on the 28th of January 1591, her body broken. Like the rest of Europe, the punishment for being found guilty of witchcraft in Scotland was to be burned at the stake as opposed to being hanged in England and Wales. And thanks to James's fascination, witch fever swept through Scotland long before it reached the extent that it eventually would in England. When Elizabeth I died in 1603 and James assumed the throne as James I of England, he brought his suspicions with him. Six years earlier, he'd even written his own book on the importance of hunting witches, Demonology, which stressed the importance of persecuting witches in a Christian society. Though perhaps less brutal than the Malleus Maleficarum, also known as the Hammer of Witches, published in Germany 110 years before, it was still a dangerous book that led some, such as the man who would later be known as the Witchfinder General, Matthew Hopkins, to believe that they had the right to accuse and torture their neighbours until they were forced to admit to the charges against them. James himself advocated for the importance of only punishing those who were guilty, but by torturing and killing so many himself, he had already spread fear throughout his country and set an example of what a witch hunt looked like. In 1612, the witch-hunting frenzy reached Lancashire in what would become the most infamous witch trials in English history, the Pendle Witch Trials. Lancaster has a long and dark history for a relatively small city. It wasn't granted city status until the 1930s, and Lancaster Castle was still being used as a prison until 2011, 399 years after its most famous occupants were there. In fact, Lancaster hanged the most people in England second only to London, giving it the nickname of The Hanging Town. For many years before the trials, Elizabeth Southerns, more commonly known as Demdike, was considered a witch by many in her local area. She lived with her daughter, Elizabeth Device, and Elizabeth's children, James, Alison and Janet. And it was not considered unusual that the whole family believed in magic and that they could use it. For a long time, witch hadn't necessarily meant evil and could often be used interchangeably as a term for a healer or wise woman. And though Demdike and her family had received accusations of casting curses from their neighbours before, it was an event in March 1612 that caught the attention of Pendle's Justice of the Peace, Robert Nowell, and sealed the family's fate. 
On the 21st of March 1612, Demdike's older granddaughter, Alison Device, was on her way to Trawden Forest when she encountered a peddler from Halifax named John Law and his son Abraham. It is unclear whether she meant to purchase them or begged them from him, but Alison requested some pins from John. Metal pins were often associated with witchcraft in the 17th century, particularly with love magic, which is perhaps why Alison wanted them. We have no way of knowing if John refused to give them to her because he believed her to be a witch, or because he didn't want to reach into the bottom of his pack for such a small transaction. But either way, Alison asked for pins and John Law said no. This would be the beginning of the end for Alison. Alison cursed the peddler before the two went their separate ways, only to witness him stumble and fall moments later. Nowadays we would perceive this as an unlucky coincidence. Though we can't be 100% certain, most historians believe that John Law suffered a stroke after his exchange with Alison. Remarkably, there was no initial accusation against Alison for having caused John Law's illness. In fact, it was Alison herself who was convinced of her own powers and felt immense guilt for what had transpired. So much so that she accompanied Abraham Law to his father's bedside to beg his forgiveness and to attempt to reverse the curse she believed she had placed upon him. Her belief in her own ability to cause others harm through witchcraft essentially meant that she was admitting to the crime. And it was this that led to Alison, Elizabeth and James Device to appear before Robert Nowell on the 30th of March 1612. In early 1612, no doubt inspired by James I's anti-Catholicism and the north of England's preference for the old ways, every justice of the peace in Lancashire was ordered to compile a list of recusants from the area. With witchcraft's association with Catholicism, a successful set of witch trials and executions would make Nowell incredibly popular in the eyes of the king. So, when a guilt-ridden Alison device admitted she had sold her soul to the devil and ordered him to lame John Law, Nowell had the juiciest case of his career on his hands. This was not a family that stuck together in times of crisis. Alison's brother James told Nowell that his sister had also confessed to bewitching a local child. And while there is no record of Elizabeth trying to defend her children, she did tell Nowell that her mother Demdike had a mark on her body that resembled a witch's mark. Proof that the devil himself had made a pact with the old woman. Whether she was caught up in the frenzy without truly considering the consequences or she was inherently vindictive, which seems hard to believe from a girl so consumed by guilt, Alison then went on to accuse Anne Whittle, known as Chattox, and her daughter Anne Redfern, 
of witchcraft. Chattox was the matriarch of another Pendle family associated with witchcraft, and the two families despised each other. Alison may have believed that Chattox and Anne were really witches, or she simply saw the chance for revenge. She accused Chattox of murdering five men, including her father, John Device, perhaps as recompense for an instance in 1601, when a member of Chattox's family broke into the, the Device's home, Malkin Tower, and stole some goods. Demdike, Chattox and Anne Redfern were summoned to appear before Nowell on the 2nd of April 1612. Though vulnerable, both Demdike and Chattox were blind and in their 80s at this time. They both admitted to selling their souls to the devil. Anne refused to admit such a thing. Like the Devices, this was another family that believed in all or nothing for her own mother accused her of making clay figures, which she used to practice witchcraft. With three admittances of guilt, it's no surprise that Nowell sent all four women, Demdike and her granddaughter Alison, and Chattox and her daughter Anne, to Lancaster Castle to await an official trial at the next assizes. Perhaps this would have been the end of it. To have rooted four witches out of his town would be a success for Nowell. But on Good Friday, the 10th of April, 1612, Elizabeth Device organised a meeting at Malkin Tower. Those who were sympathetic to the family's plight attended, and to feed them, James Device stole a neighbour's sheep. When word reached Nowell, and an inquiry was carried out, Eight more people who had attended the meeting were accused of witchcraft and seven of them were sent to join the others in Lancaster Castle. Elizabeth Device, James Device, Alice Nutter, Catherine Hewitt, John Bullcock, Jane Bullcock, Alice Gray and Janet Preston. Janet Preston lived across the border in Yorkshire and was therefore sent to the York Assizes for her trial. She was found guilty of witchcraft and was hanged on the 29th of July 1612. Of those accused, Alice Nutter was set apart from the rest on account of her class. While the majority of the people caught up in the Pendle trials were peasantry, Alice was from a fairly wealthy family in Roughly and, now a widow, owned her own land. Today, it is thought likely that she was spotted at Malkin Tower on her way to another meeting with a group of local Catholics, for the Nutter family were known to be loyal to the Catholic faith. To keep her fellow Catholics safe, Alice said nothing at all aside from pleading not guilty at her trial. The trials took place from the 18th to the 19th of August 1612. The accused were denied witnesses to plead their innocence, and in a remarkable turn of events, 
the key witness for the prosecution was Elizabeth Device's youngest child, nine-year-old Janet Device. Usually a child of nine would not have been used as a key witness in a case such as this. But in demonology, James I made a case that, when trying to punish witches for their crimes, it was acceptable to bend the normal rules of providing evidence at a witch trial. History has dealt Janet Device something of an unkind hand. Since 1612, she's often been remembered as an evil child who turned on her own family which seems like a particularly unfair accusation when so many members of her family had already accused each other of the crimes that led to the trials in the first place. And it's true that there didn't appear to be any closeness or affection within the Device household. Janet was treated poorly by the rest of her family, but will never know for certain whether it was dislike for the family or, more likely, pressure from the adults who were using her as a witness that made her say, My mother is a witch, and that I know to be true. I have seen her spirit in the likeness of a brown dog, which she calls Ball. The dog did ask what she would have him do, and she answered that she would have him help her to kill. When Janet appeared in the courtroom, Elizabeth Device screamed at her until she was forced to be removed from the room so that the evidence could be heard. Knowing that whatever words were about to come from her youngest child's mouth would be the words that condemned her and the rest of her family to death. James Device also accused his mother of witchcraft claiming he had seen her make a clay figure of one of her victims and was in turn accused of witchcraft himself by Janet's testimony. Alison continued to admit her guilt and old Demdike did not appear at the trial. She died in the horrid conditions at Lancaster Castle while awaiting the Assizes. By the end of the trial, the only person found not guilty was Alice Gray. The remaining nine were hanged on the 20th of August, 1612. Janet Device disappeared from history until 24th of March, 1634, when a woman named Janet Device became one of 20 tried at Lancaster for the crime of witchcraft accused of the murder of a woman named Isabel Nutter by a ten-year-old boy named Edmund Robinson. Though Robinson later admitted to fabricating his evidence and the twenty weren't executed, it is thought likely that Janet ended her days the same way that Demdike did, dying in Lancaster Castle, despite being pardoned. There is no official record of Janet's death. But according to a record from the 22nd of August 1636, she was still incarcerated. In 2012, Lancashire commemorated 400 years since the trials. 
a time when belief and hysteria led to one of the darkest periods in Lancaster's history. A statue of Alice Nutter by local artist David Palmer was unveiled in Roughly. Lancashire has since been called Witch County and even at Lancaster University one of their colleges takes the name Pendle with a witch on her broomstick as its logo. Today witches are often depicted as green-skinned, wart-nosed creatures many dress up as for Halloween. Yet over 400 years on it's important to remember what really happened. These were people, not caricatures, and they were only some of the many men and women who suffered during Europe's witch-hunting frenzy. In this episode, we delved into the mysterious and haunting history of the Pendle Witches in Lancashire. We explored the chilling events of the 1612 trials that led to the execution of ten people accused of witchcraft, unravelling the layers of folklore and historical accounts. We encountered the eerie landscape where these events unfolded. As we conclude this journey into the past, let's reflect with empathy on the lives of those caught in the web of suspicion and fear. The Pendle Witches stand as a poignant reminder of a darker chapter in Lancashire's history, urging us to approach such tales with understanding and compassion for the complexities of the human experience. Thank you for joining me on this fascinating exploration of Lancashire's bewitching past. Before I go, let's see where the ghost haunted box has chosen for us to investigate next. And it is Buckinghamshire. So join me next week on Friday the 1st of December to find out what I have discovered about the county of Buckinghamshire. You can follow me on Instagram by searching Ghost Haunted with Molly or my username which is Hauntologist1. If you value my efforts and wish to show your support, you can consider making a donation through my PayPal Me link, which is mollyhughes22. Alternatively, you can treat me to a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash mollyghost. Both links found in my Spotify description box. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next week, stay curious, stay cautious and never let your guard down. For the realm of the unknown is always closer than we think.